You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Lord, and uh, Nehemiah chapter number three, and it's really cool the way the Lord worked this out as we're able to continue our series in Nehemiah, uh, kind of in a topical nature, but in the book of Nehemiah, we find uh, a man whose country, especially his capital city, has really been a reproach. The, uh, the walls have been torn down, which again, I've said over and over for an ancient city, that's a really big deal. Uh, and really, his city's been in bad shape for about 141 years that the walls have been torn down since the Babylonians first came there. Last week, we saw how a faithful group so Nehemiah had a vision, but it took a group of faithful men and women that were willing to stand up, step up, get into their place to help in the work that, 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 that was arising. Men and women who recognized the importance of the hour rose up. People who caught the vision that they were alive at this time for a cause greater than themselves. I'll tell you, those kids both... If I was up here doing anything else, he would probably be okay. Look at him. I tell you, but I love it, don't you? And uh, I am so thankful for our babies being in church, amen? And I want them in here. And I understand you've got to take them out sometimes, but I like them being in here. It's the way they learn. But, uh, but there was people that understood that they were alive. They were on the earth. They had the vision that they were on this earth and they were living in this time for a cause that was greater than themselves. And I believe that our God has found a similar group of people right here in Elk Point Baptist Church. A people that understand that they also are here for a greater cause. May we be among those, like those in Nehemiah's day, who strengthened their hands. Who were willing to rise up and who were willing to build. Today, let's consider though, as we look at this construction of the walls, the materials they used to build. Sometimes as I say things, I hear how they sound. I can imagine you sitting there thinking, well, that's exciting. You know, we're going to talk about the materials they use to build the wall. I mean, uh, how edifying. But we're going to find out why that does matter and why it is edifying in just a moment. Where would they find the materials they needed? Now, in order to reconstruct the gates, they had access to uh, a local forest. But what about the stones for the wall? What about the, uh, the, those pieces, those building blocks to build that wall? If I could draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 3, and I'm just going to read for the sake of time verses 4 and 5, where the Bible says, And next unto them, and I just want to draw your attention to that next word, repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of uh, Barakiah, the son of Mezbiel, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Banani, or Banane, and next unto them the Tekoites repaired. And I'm just uh, pointing this out to you. We could go on if we wanted to, and 35 times in this short chapter you will find the word repaired. You'll find the word repaired. And what they were actually doing that's interesting here is that what they were doing is they were not out looking for new material. 
They were needing to rebuild these walls that had been torn down, broken down, and destroyed. But all they needed to do was look around and the dust and the dirt laying around them. And they could find these ancient stones that someone else before them had already carved out. Somebody else had already put in the blood, the sweat, the tears, uh, uh, the effort, the toil to get these and at one point put them on this wall and build it until the enemy came along and, and began to tear down these sacred rocks and expose God's people and God's work to uh, unparalleled danger. So they didn't need new materials. They just simply needed to rebuild with the materials that were already supplied for them. Somebody's going to have to pick them up. Somebody's going to have to carry them. Somebody's going to maybe have to clean them off. But it was the same materials that were there all this time. See, July 4th is the day that we commemorate the Continental Congress's Declaration of Independence from the nation of Britain. Men who built this republic and built the walls of protection around this country that we call the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We honor that. We remember that this day. But this day also we honor the God of whom each founder acknowledged. Noting, noting his providential hand of assistance, uh, Benjamin Franklin, which was among the least religious of the founding fathers, which is one of the reasons people love to mention him so often, but he was among the least religious. But here's, you know what he called God? He called God Almighty that powerful friend. That's how he referred to God, that powerful friend. And in a, in a pivotal point of, in the formation of our country, here's what Benjamin Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is improbable, or I'm sorry, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. And this, that was contained in a speech to where there was a lot of contention. This is when they were working on the Constitution. And he was saying, guys, we need to begin to pray and begin every session with prayer. And when you read and you, you study history, and uh, by the way, there's, there, it's interesting when you study history and look at books out there, there's a, there's a book out there, and I can't remember the exact uh, title of the book, but it's something along the, the lines of uh, how our founding fathers didn't care anything about God, didn't believe in God, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's this whole book, and you can read the whole book, but do you want to know how many references it has to historical documents? Zero. It's just a bunch of people trying to say, nope, they didn't believe, blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is, they did. Because when you go back and read about the way they prayed, it wasn't, okay, Lord, help us with our proceedings today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, they would spend time praying, beseeching, asking God Almighty to help them as they tried to bring this country together. So in this, we find what drove our nation's founders to seek independence. What building blocks were used to build the United States? And we can discover, I believe, among other things, but in the very first sentence of, the parag of paragraph 2 of the Declaration of Independence. And this is the first, paragraph of, first sentence of the second paragraph of the Declaration when they said this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator. 
They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This sentence is among the greatest sentences ever written regarding what a civil government exists to preserve and protect. In this revolutionary statement, we discover the raw materials used to construct the United States of America. Basically, there was a belief in God. And there was a belief that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the right given to men by God Almighty. So, that's why today, when we consider this, we think about, again... The building blocks, the, those things that were used to reconstruct the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I look at the things that have been used to construct this country. Now you say, number one, why would I care anything about this today? I think it's a good question. I think it's a good question to say, why should I care? Why should I care what the foundation was? Why should I care about any of this? And why would we take time to talk about this in church? Because what I want to try to show you today, the reason why I intend to show you that the same building blocks that they were looking at are the same building blocks that God wants to use to build your life for His glory and honor. To build your life into the life that He intended it to be. And I'll show you what I mean by that if you'll just bear with me for a moment. I understand, so let me talk about America just for a little bit, but then I want to make the parallel to the basis of the, the attitude and what was inspiring our founding fathers. See, there's no question that our democratic, our Republican form of government had its origins. We know that they were partially inspired by Athens and Greece and various other Western democratic experiments. But I'll just throw out there to you real quickly. In those democratic experiences, one of the things you'll find out is that all people were not created equal. In those, there were a lot of issues. But uh, they still looked at those, those experiments. But they had a huge distinction, and that distinction is the dignity and freedom of all human beings. Where did this vision come from? Well, they just told us, didn't they? The Creator, God Almighty. He's the one who gives rights. He's the one who gives the right to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness. He is the one who gives these rights. You say, well, are you sure that this vision came from God? Well, I'm absolutely sure. For one thing, you can go back and read many of their quotes and documents, but this is interesting. You can find that the Bible shaped the point of view of our founding fathers. When you go read the direct quotes of our founding documents as well as the correspondence between the founding fathers, what you'll find out is 34% of their references were directly from the Bible. Think about that. 34%. I, I mentioned this this morning, and, and I'll probably be guilty of this today because of the nature of this message, but 34% of the Bible is more than a lot of ministers use in their sermons today. Yet, the men that they want to, you know, they, they cite as deists and so forth so often, Jefferson, Franklin, these guys in particular, not to mention the many others, they refer to the Bible over and over again, especially the book of Deuteronomy. So the men who constructed the United States and crafted all of our founding documents, so they, they were basing and they were really putting their lives on the line 
and their fortunes on the line to launch a nation that was built on the foundation of the truths, these indelible truths that were shaped by the Bible. Number one, I mentioned already, there is a God. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And they are endowed by their creator. Folks, they believe in a creator. They believed in God Almighty. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Folks, and I'm glad, I, I, I say this time and again, but the more we learn, you know, both, you know, whether it's archaeology or whether it's science, the more enlightened we come in those areas, the more it sheds on the validity of the Word of God. Uh, you know, and, and you could go study that, and I'm not going to get into a whole creation message on this point, but it's to say that they did believe in the Creator. They believed that there was a God. They believed that this God was the Creator. They believed that, again, based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So they believed in a Creator. They believed in God. They believed in life. They said we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, life. If you go all the way back to when the pilgrims landed on these shores, the Mayflower Compact stated their purpose. Here's why they said they came. They came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's what they said their goal was. Uh, in 1643, the New England Confederation wrote the first constitution in the New World, and it began with these words. We all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. So the people who came here initially came with that reason. Now, I know later folks came from Spain and they did have the, the motivation of gold in mind. I understand that. But that's not these people. That's not the people that we're talking about this morning. We understand something else. You think about life. See, where did this idea come from? Because obviously they came here thinking about a better life and even a better life than just regular living through eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we find out in the Word of God, people, that every life is precious. Every life matters. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. See, as Christians, we understand from the Bible that every life matters. Every life. No matter uh, where they come from, what they look like, doesn't matter. Every life matters. All men are created equal under God. From a biblical standpoint, you know something that we as God's people understand? We understand that in the Bible there's one race. You say, preacher, I don't know about that. I can look around and see a lot of different races. No, you don't. You see one race and it's the human race. Now, in the human race, there's many different ethnicities and there's different, uh, different tones to our, you know, uh, of, of our melanin level. You know, some have more than others and things of that nature. But when you really get down to it, we are all created equal under God Almighty. Those that know the Bible and believe the Bible believe that. 
See, Jesus is the author of life. Not only in the sense that he's the creator, but Jesus actually said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, that's who he is. There is no, without Jesus Christ, there is no life. He is it. John 10, 10 is uh, really, I believe, the, 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 the theme and really a driving force behind the ministry of Elk Point Baptist Church. John 10, 10, where the Bible says that the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to what Jesus said. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now here Jesus isn't just talking about being alive. He's saying he wants you to have life. Folks, he wants you and I to, to have eternal life. He wants us to have life in his son. Folks, sin brings death, destruction, separation. Think about the destructive nature of so many of the things in this world. That, things that are tearing down the walls, stealing, killing, destroying, whether literally or whether figuratively. I wonder here today, how many of you can remember when you were living in a place where your life was broken down? I wonder how many of you can remember when you were living in a life and it seemed like you were a slave to things that were just stealing your joy, stealing any peace, stealing any purity, any pure thought. I mean, and, and killing your relationships, killing your future, destroying all of that. I'm telling you, that's what Satan does. That's what sin does. That's what this world does. But I'm here to tell you, folks, Jesus Christ came that you might have life. He wants to give something to you. He wants to give you life. And he doesn't want to just give you life in his son, but he also wants to give you abundant life. And that speaks of the joy that we can have. We're not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. We're talking about something greater than that. We're not talking about you know, being able to add up our assets to how much they all, uh, that what it's worth to see how abundant our life is. No, because we count our blessings in the things that cannot be priced. The things that have no price, some things that cannot be bought. Therefore, we have the abundant life. I mean, you're looking today at a wealthy man. And I don't say that based on my bank account. And I don't say that based on my portfolio, uh, whatever that is. But I say that based on the joy that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness I have of sins. Uh, the, the, the blessings that God's given me in my marriage and in my family and in the ministry and my getting to be a part of this church. I mean, the abundant life that Jesus gives. Folks, they believed in life. We believe in life today. That's how Jesus, it, do you have life in Him? You know, sometimes people, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible says before we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, number one, it says we're born into this world as sinners. We all are. And it says we're born into this world dead. How much sense does that make? You're born into this word dead, world dead, but it's not talking about physical death, obviously. It's talking about a spiritual death. What real death is is just separation. A person isn't actually dead. You know, you think about it. A person can be, be lying uh, on, on life support, and it seems like everything isn't working. But when is that person dead? They're not dead until their soul is separated from their body. That's the point when death actually comes. Death speaks of separation. So, we were all, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were all shaped by sin. 
every one of us, all right, born into sin. Therefore, our spirits are separated from God Almighty, which means we're spiritually dead. And so what do we do? We're born sinners, but, but the problem, that's, that's the root of the problem. But what happens is, uh, as we go through life, we begin, we're sinners by birth, we become sinners by choice. And the wages of sin is death. And that death, so we live lives of separation from God Almighty. We have religion. We have religions and churches that try to give you all these steps and hoops and hurdles and everything else that, that you've got to do. That if you'll do these things, and somehow they promise life. But how many of you discovered that religion doesn't give life? Amen? One of you. I'm glad me and, me and Matt are praying for But it doesn't give life. Religion doesn't give life. Christ gives life. And that's one reason, by the way, that you and I need to understand so many people are turned off from church and religion because all they've ever experienced is this works-based, you know, uh, holier-than-thou, better-than-thou, do-do-do uh, mentality, and then maybe you get to be... No, folks, that's death. That's garbage is what that is. And I say that boldly. Why? Because Jesus Christ said no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No church, no works, no religion. It's putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did. Turning from that road to destruction and that sin that we're on to the wonderful life-giving uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, think about it. Je the thief takes life. Jesus gives life. The life that he gives right now is abundantly richer and fuller than any life you could ever live. It is an eternal life. And it begins immediately. The Bible says that you have eternal life. You have, uh, if, you, if you've taken Christ's offer of life, the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the question that you've got to ask yourself today, if you don't get anything else out of this message, I've got one serious thing to ask you right now. Have you received Christ's offer of life? Now, you could say you believe in God, and I say wonderful. I mean, sincerely. But here's the thing you got to understand. The Bible actually says the devils believe in God. Is that right, boys? You know the devils believe in God, but Hawker, the devils believe in God, but the Bible, and the Bible says they tremble. I've met a lot of people that's believed in God. I haven't met too many people that tremble when they think about Him. The devils do. What good's that doing them? Well, in a, in, from an eternal standpoint, not a lot of good. And it may, 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 maybe it helps you to be a better person. But I'm not asking if you believe in God today. I'm asking you, have you received the gift of life that Jesus offers? See, because the Bible says, I, I just read that, for God so loved the world that he gave. The Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So getting back to trying to simplify this important question, can you think and remember a moment in your life to where you received Christ as your Savior? You received this life. You say, how do you do that? You do it by faith. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in God. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again. I, I, I've always believed that too, as long as I can remember. But there came a time, folks, where you want to hear some good news? Anybody good news? If you watch the news, you're, you're probably ready for some good news. Here's some good news. 
Jesus went to the cross for you. You ever know that? It's like you, you, you can believe he went. That's one. He was born for you. He died for you. Because he loves you. And because of your sin. Your sin separates from God both now and for all eternity in a place called hell. But he loved you so much that he died so that you wouldn't have to perish. You wouldn't have to experience eternal separation from God. All right? He purchased that. And so by faith, you just say, Lord Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. Lord Jesus, I'm not trusting anymore in me trying to be a good person or me saying my prayers at night. Jesus, right now, I want to receive you as my Savior. I want to accept the gift of salvation by faith. And that's how the Bible says, by grace, through faith. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you have not yet done that, I invite you today, and we'll give you an opportunity, but you can do it right now. But I, I'll invite you and encourage you at, one, at some point right before we leave here in a moment, in a moment of prayer, to say, Dear Lord Jesus, I turn from my sins. I want you to come into my heart and my life and be my Savior today. And I want to encourage you to receive the wonderful gift of life that Jesus offers. Now, I told you about the pilgrims coming to this country. I told you about their motivation. But if you follow history, by 1730, the colonies had fallen into a rather ungodly state. You ever think about black and white, and if it hadn't been the old days, they must have just all been holy people, you know? Uh, well, that wasn't the case. And some of y'all lived during the black and white days. And, uh, you know, was anybody like me when you were a kid and you just really thought people back then didn't have color? I never claimed to be smart, okay? Um, but, uh, but, I mean, I just realized a few years ago that wasn't the case when I seen Gone the Wind and Tech My Color. And I was like, oh, they actually could see in color. Okay. Um, but by 1730, the colonies became very ungodly. In fact, only about 10% of the people in the colonies attended church at all. But then, something amazing happened. Beginning in 1734, a handful of preachers began to preach the word. In churches, in fields, anywhere people would listen, people began to come to Christ. So many people came to Christ, it changed the country so much that they called it the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. Tens of thousands of people were born again. Benjamin Franklin said about this time, he said it was wonderful to see the change. And I like that word change. It's wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that no one could walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. That's how much it was. You couldn't walk down the street, according to Benjamin Franklin, without, you, 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 people, anybody around here go for a walk? You know, you go walk around town. Can you imagine you turn down this street and the odds are you're going to hear a family sing and praise us to God like we heard earlier this morning. Odds are you turn down the next street and you're probably going to hear it again. And the next street. 
Uh, folks, this great awakening shook two continents, but I remember it was said about the Welsh revival, which was happening at the same time. It was, it was often said that, that, the, that the, the, the mines began to lose business or, or began to slow down in their productivity because the, the, the mules and the animals, they, they were only used to the cruelty and the profanity of the men who were working them in the mines. All of a sudden, these men aren't cruel and profane anymore. <laughs> and the animals weren't sure how to respond. But the point is, folks, it changed the nation significantly. And, and, and this is uh, uh, this great awakening. The reason this matters, I said 1730. Think about this. Many of our founding fathers, many of them in their 30s, many of them in their 40s, Benjamin Franklin, of course, being the oldest, quite a bit older, every one of them were born and raised in that time. Or that time had a significant impact on their lives so the founding fathers the authors of the declaration of independence those who wrote our constitution bill of rights those who put their lives on the line who fought and died that we might be free all of these grew up and came into leadership while this great awakening was engulfing the land and I just got to throw in right here, and I need to get to keep on moving here. But I'm telling you, I understand that no taxation without representation was important to. But that's even even those of us that believe that. It's funny how those of us, even the most um, you know patriotic or conservative of us, uh, cite that over and over. And folks, that was like the 17th grievance of the 27. Because there's a little trick behind that. That's one of the ways that they try to teach today that it was all about these men trying to uh, figure out how their wealth could be better. How they could make more money. Folks, that is not the reason they started the revolution. It was somewhere on the list, but it was not the thing. But listen to this prayer. A prayer. You, if you go read. You can actually go read excerpts from George Washington's personal diary. Uh, I think his little brother must have got it and let it out to people. But, uh, but, it, but here's what. Here, listen to a prayer recorded by George Washington. He said, let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I may discharge those weighty duties which thou require of me. Again, I have called on thee, listen to this, I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. Thou gavest thy son to die for me, and thou hast given me assurance of my salvation. The climate of America during these years, and then into the Second Great Awakening, this is why the French philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville, after visiting America in 1831, said, here's what he said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her uh, commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for her in the rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning. And it was not there. He's looking for the greatness of the United States. Not until, he says, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power? America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Fast forward to 1776 from earlier reference. 
Patrick Henry wrote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you listen to this. For that reason alone, people of other faiths have been afforded freedom of worship here. What do people say? Oh, we can't have a Christian nation. We can't do that. We can't force everybody to be Christians. Christianity don't force people to be Christians. Christianity preaches the truth. And Patrick Henry said since this country was founded as a Christian nation, that's, that's the reason alone that people of other faiths have been afforded freedom to worship here. Jesus came that we might have life. Our founders were inspired by this life. They were also inspired by liberty. John 8, 32, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It was the Bible that ingrained in them deeply the theme of liberty, liberty of the captives. That theme runs throughout the Bible's redemptive story. Um, liberty. Before the Virginia Assembly in 1775, Patrick Henry cried, An appeal to arms. Pause right there a second. An appeal to arms and the God of hosts is all that is left us. But we shall not fight our battle alone. There is a just God that proceeds over the destinies of nations. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I'm not going to be able to say a lot about this. I preached a message about slavery uh, a while back. You could go back and listen to. Uh, but you need to understand that many of our founders, for one thing, uh, did you know that it was under, under uh, British law, which the colonies were under, it would have been illegal for you to, if, you, if your family was given slaves, to release those slaves. Did you know that? But here's something else. The founders, Jefferson, Adams, Washington, they all wanted to get rid of the evil institution of slavery. There was a certain party, and I'll let you do the research on that yourself, that would not, that, that fought against that. They would not come together and ratify the Constitution if, uh, if they didn't allow slavery, but there was, still a, there was still a caveat to that. They said, okay, 20 years and we've got to end it. 20 years and it's got to stop. Because all men are created equal under God. Now I understand there's many, many flaws and uh, problems in our country. Why? Because it's ran by men. Okay? Many, many. I, I'm not trying to gloss over any of those. But what I am trying to tell you is that uh, our key founders believe that all men, uh, no matter what descent, but, uh, uh, um, deserve to be free. But there was, again, uh, there was a party that fought and fought against that uh, you know, all the way up to Jim Crow and uh, so forth. A, a party that still fights against that in many ways. But the mission of the founders was to end that. That's why I encourage you to go read Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a freed slave. And he was, he was obviously against slavery. But Fre Frederick Douglass understood and he knew, though the, there was flaws the way the country was being ran, he understood that the founding, it was in the founding documents that they would have their freedom. He understood that it was in the principles, that I'm, the biblical principles I'm giving you to you today in spite of what the country was doing. 
So, but, but, but liberty, folks. And here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. And listen to this. To set at liberty them that are bruised. So He came for liberty. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from sin. Not so you can go into deeper sin but so that you don't have to live under the chains of sin. See, people are trying to build their lives off off a bunch of stuff that just don't work, that this world offers. People are trying to build this country on institutions of death and philosophies of death. Folks, no, we need to go back to the truths, the foundation. Don't, Don't follow the lies. Don't believe the lies of popularity and wealth and pleasure and all these things that you think is going to make your life right. See, many people say, well, I've tried religion and that didn't work, so now I'm trying all these other things. No, religion belongs in the pile with all those other things. What you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you can have liberty. Then you can be free to serve God and have joy and peace and, uh, and so forth. So as we all stand here, that kind of leads into the pursuit of happiness. And Miss Barb comes. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed down for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. See, people are looking for safety and shelter in the wrong thing, coming up empty every time. As Dr. Phil said, how's that working out for you? You're looking for things and every time you keep coming up empty. You don't need something new. It's not going to work. But folks, there's an old, old story that's been transforming lives for years. And that story is that Jesus loves you, died for you. The Bible says this, you have your right to be free and it's found in Jesus Christ. You can begin to play please, Barb. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe his name. Here's what I want to ask you today. Earlier I was asking, have you received that gift of salvation? If not, here's what I want to ask you to do today. I want you to to declare your independence from sin. I want you to declare your independence from death. And I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Find the peace, find the liberty that can only be found in Jesus today. Child of God, may the Lord help us to stand and make a difference in this hour, in this time. We don't need new stones. I get a picture of the Statue of Liberty, you know, holding that torch of freedom high. And, and, And what that's meant to so many people over the years But would you know what I think is even greater than that? Of God's people holding the gospel high. Holding the cross high for all those who will to come to Jesus Christ. You're poor, you're broken, you're oppressed. Bring them, amen. Bring them because Jesus can make a difference in their life. If you're here today,